This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Uh, hi, everybody. Thanks for coming. My name is Tommy Hensel, and I'm the director of the Fine and Performing Arts Center, which most of you already knew. Um, the, uh, on Saturday, we're presenting Photos Dance Chicago, which is one of the dance companies from Chicago that we have presented numerous times over the last 20 years at the FPAC. Um, and we're excited to have them back. And one of the specific reasons that I asked them to come back this year is that now in their touring repertoire, they have a, a one-act story ballet um, based on the events of the World's Columbian Exposition of 1893, partially on the book Devil in the White City, partially on the historical record. And I felt like it was a really nice fit, uh, first of all, for the book, for curriculum, but also it's a spectacular piece because I've seen it a couple of times. So um, I wanted to bring, uh, bring it here for that. And I also, in advance, wanted to bring Melissa Photos, who is the founder and artistic director of Photos Dance Chicago, um, out for a series of events, including this one, to talk a little bit about uh, how the work was created. You know, how do you get an idea? How do you create a dance out of something like the historical record and like a book? How do you, what do you pick? What do you throw away? So um, without further ado, I want to pass it on to Melissa Photos, and she's going to take it from here. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here today and to share with you something that we really care about at Photos Dance Chicago, which is our, our passion for dance. And we're 21 years old this year, and of course, you know, that means I founded the company when I was eight. <laughs> but over time, um, our company has seasoned to a point where we really think a lot about what it is that matters to us as artists, and um, storytelling, telling a story through the work we do, whether it's very abstract or very lyrical or very narrative, is what we care about. Well, we chose a really big story to tell with this story ballet. And the reason that Anne Reinking, my collaborator, and I chose this story is because it's a really special time in history for the city of Chicago and in American history. And the mission of Photos Dance Chicago is to celebrate and present the works of American choreographers and what better time than a part of American history to do that? So it's a really great story about how we decided to do this. And I felt very strongly that this was a story that needed to be told for many reasons. I'm from Chicago originally. I made the choice to have my career here in Chicago developing as a professional dancer, as a choreographer, and as an educator. And um, in doing so, um, I'm very patriotic about Chicago as a city. And when, um, when the, the book came out by Eric Larson called Devil in the White City, all of a sudden this time in our history became known. But prior to that, people hadn't really heard about the Columbian Exposition unless you're a history buff, a Chicago history buff. You know, it wasn't something that was necessarily on anyone's radar screen. And what's interesting to note is Leonardo DiCaprio is now currently, has received the rights to the book and is currently making a movie. It'll be very interesting to see what role he plays in this very intriguing time in history. So this story continues to be told in many different ways. It's been told through 
uh, a novel. It's, we're telling a story about the history of this amazing time through dance as our medium. DiCaprio is now doing a movie about it. It's a story that needs to be told. So how do you dance a story like this? Well, we, um, as research, Anne Reinking and I, um, chartered a bus, and we talked to some folks at the uh, Chicago Architecture Foundation. And there's a docent there who is an expert on the Columbian Exposition. And as you know, having been, have been in Chicago in Jackson Park, um, the research that we did, so our dancers, our participating artists, our costume designers, our lighting designer, everybody could really understand the background of this as we all chartered a tour for as research. So we went on a four-hour excursion one Sunday, very cold Sunday. You'll see a little bit of footage of that in the, the film that you'll see. And the dancers and all the participating artists asked a lot of questions um, along the way to really learn about the time, to learn about the capacity of this fair, and to really get a sense of historic impact. Because that's important when you're a performer and you're working on building your character, and you're giving some thought to who it is that you represent and how you want to go about doing that. So that was one mode of research, among many others, that Anne and I did. Um, it was a wonderful process. I just want to talk a little bit about how, when you tell a story, you really have to think about a manuscript or a treatment, and you have to think about how the story works, how it arcs, how it goes from one place to another, and you have to take into account each character's development and change as you go. So not only were we functioning and thinking about how the music would pair with the scene, we had to think about how the characters developed within that. Okay, So the Chicago World's Fair, the way we present it, was... It had the best of the best, and it had the worst of the worst. And we really presented both in this. And if you come to the performance on Saturday, you'll see why. But before we get into um, a, a little more detail, um, and before we hop into this film that I'm going to introduce, I just want to make sure that you have some information of your own about this amazing time. The World's Fair held in Chicago in 1893 celebrated the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the New World. Chicago at that time was a very dirty city. It was not a place that appeared to be able to house something as grandiose, where countries come and build structures and send ambassadors. But it, but it won over... New York City, Washington, D.C., and St. Louis for the honor of hosting the fair. It was an amazing feat, and there's some things that contributed to this. Um, one was the fact that the Auditorium Theater downtown Chicago was built at the time. And our piece opens with the people who built the fair because they were the backbone of the structures and of the images that the fair presented, the white city. And the most famous architects from all over the country assembled wanting this opportunity to get the opportunity to build one of the buildings 
designated for the fair, because that would be an amazing calling card for them, for going to other cities and building other things. So in that context, though, there was a beautiful theater, there is, the auditorium that was built at the time, and some of the committee members who decided who's going to get the fair and who's not said, well, if, you know, it is a gross city. There's coal everywhere. There's dirt. There's dirt roads. There's, it's granted that, but this city was able to build an amazing building like that. If they can build that building and maintain it and keep things going within that, we think we can do this. It was a chance. They took a chance, and they did it. Um, more pressure on Chicago was the fact that the location of the most previous World's Fair was in Paris. Imagine, Paris was the opposite of Chicago at the time. At every World's Fair, something is built to commemorate, a permanent structure is built to commemorate um, the fair having been there. And each city has to come up with something very imaginative to do that. And Paris came up with, of course, the Eiffel Tower. So that's a lot of pressure. That's a very famous structure. And Chicago took a long time to think about what it needed, longer than it should have because this ended up being built late within the fair, but it was built. And they really felt pressure to try to top that. And what they ended up presenting for the first time ever, it was invented at this, was the Ferris wheel. So that's why you see a rendition of that at Navy Pier today, because of that. What's interesting to note is the Ferris wheel at that time, the very first one built, if you think about Ferris wheels today, you think about four or five people sitting in a seat as you rotate. But the Ferris wheel at that time, each of the different compartments that rotated around the Ferris wheel, each of them spanned from this wall to that wall, and housed about, hey, have a seat. How's it going? Good. Have a seat. Thanks. Um, and housed up to 50 to 60 people. That's in each compartment. Can you imagine? You could live in one of these things. Not that I'd want to, but. The exposition covered more than 600 acres, featuring nearly 200 new buildings, a predominantly neoclassical architecture, canals, lagoons, and people and cultures from around the world. More than 27 million people attended the exposition during its six-month run. Its scale and grandeur far exceeded the other world's fairs, and it became a symbol of the emerging American exceptionalism, much in the same way that the Great Exhibition became a symbol of the Victorian era in the United Kingdom. Opening day at the fair set a world record for outdoor attendance, drawing 716,000 people. That's a lot of people. The, the fair opened in May and ran through October 30th, 1893. Forty-six nations participated in the fair, nearly 26 million visitors. Um, just to give you a sense of what buildings were focused on to build at the time, this will give you a sense of where we were in history. These were the buildings that were assigned 
to very specific and very established architects. This is where all the competition was among the architects for the opportunity to build these buildings. And the theme of each of these buildings will give you an idea of where we were in time. The administration building, the agricultural building, the manufacturers and liberal arts building, the mines and mining building, the electricity building, which was revealed in a very advanced capacity at the, this particular World's Fair, the machinery building, and the women's building. The structures were not built to last. They were made out of stucco. There was one structure that was built to last because it housed the art, and it needed to be fireproof, and that is now the Museum of Science and Industry today. What else can I tell you? There's a lot to tell you. <laughs> I have lots of fun notes. I want to get onto this film because it covers a lot of a lot more detail, but I really want to give you a sense of what happened. Um, there was a lot of firsts. This is what I want to share with you before we begin. There was a lot of firsts at the fair, so things that were revealed for the first time. Um, a confection of popcorn, peanuts, and molasses was created at that time. Can anyone guess? I love that you guys know that. I teach my students, and I go, do you guys know what Cracker Jack is? And they, they don't know. They don't know. They don't care about the prize in the box anymore. Cream of wheat. Milton Hershey bought a European exhibitor's chocolate manufacturing equipment and attended chocolate and added chocolate products to his caramel manufacturing business. So he focused on caramel, and then Hershey changed gears and added chocolate. And now you can see what happened with Hershey's business and uh, having began what he did at, at the World's Fair. Juicy fruit gum, Pabst Blue Ribbon, Quaker Oats, and shredded wheat. The United States Mint offered its first commemorative coins, a quarter and a half dollar, and the United States Post Office Department produced its first picture postcards and commemorative stamp set, all of which exist today. Um, so without further ado, what I'd like to do is introduce to you a film that was created around the Columbian Exposition project that Anne Reinking and I shared. This is a very special film. It's created by Chris Olson, and it, is, um, it, is, uh, nom it was nominated for a Chicago Emmy Award this past year, um, which we're really excited about. It's a wonderful accolade, and we feel very well deserved. Um, Chris Olson took, uh, was the projectionist and the filmmaker for our production of The White City. And if you come on Saturday, you're going to see original renderings in film uh, throughout the whole piece. We work very closely with the Chicago History Museum and we received the exclusive rights to the use of all of their original images of the fair to incorporate into our story. And we felt that that was a really important and wonderful addition to what we, did, what we, what we wanted to say. An important layer and another important facet in this intriguing story. So without further ado, I'd like you to um, enjoy this film by Chris Olson. Um, its title is Beneath the White City Lights, and it's about the making 
of our story ballet, The White City. Thank you. Okay. Hope you enjoyed that. We have one more thing to show you today. And if you're sitting over there, hi, why don't you stand up and come over here so you can have a better view because I brought one of our dancers, Carrie Patterson, and I'll come introduce her. And she is, and I'm just so you can get a closer look at her costume, She's, um, she is our uh, female architect, Sophia Hayden. And um, again, Sophia was the first woman to graduate from MIT in architecture. And she was um, awarded the opportunity to design the women's building. It was such an arduous process for her. As Chris Multaf, our docent and our narrator, said, it was the only building she ever made. It was so stressful for her, she said, I'm not doing this anymore. So we opened the piece following this with a section called The Architects, because it really all began with them. And um, Carrie is going to perform a small solo around this table was the table of decision making. We had a special table built that we tour with and it's, you know, it's where a lot of work was done. It represents something very important, very symbolic in terms of the great minds of design coming together. And in this solo, um, the focus of this to, was to really showcase her frustration in the context of this decision making process. So Carrie is going to perform Sophia Hayden's solo today. Thank you, Carrie. Come on up here with me now. And I'm going to, I think I can roll this a little bit. Can I do that? Am I going to break anything if I do that? Okay, good. And we'll stand up here. And um, didn't she do good? Didn't she look frustrated? I feel like that a lot these days. <laughs> Deadlines and all these things. Life gets that way. It's all good. Um, this is a great opportunity if you have any questions or thoughts to ask to ask us anything you might want to know about the ballet, about our process, about our performance, about how she may feel as a performer. So if there's anything you'd like to ask, we have a little time left to do that. So who wants to go first? Yes. Yes. Um, the question is, um, uh, this audience member is commenting on the fact that we received permission to use Im original images from the fair. And yes, our, our um, filmmaker and designer um, uses them as slides that are they're continual. So they're very timed with the scenes. Um, and there's background for each of them. Some are self-created. For example, there's a portrait of Carter Harrison. So we took a, we took a Victorian kind of... Um, sepia photo, if you will, of the dancer to make it look like a portrait in that time. So we filtered in needed contemporary um, facets, but um, all of the images of anything you see in terms of structure are all images from, from the fair of that time. Mm -hmm. Great question. Thank you. Anybody else want to know anything? Yes. 
Did we do this at Green Hills Library a couple weeks ago? Yes, we did. Yep, each one of these has been a little bit different based on, I believe that one had the focus on architecture specifically. So, um, yeah, these talks have been really wonderful. We've really enjoyed them, and each one is just a little bit different based on the audience and what we're doing. So we like, it's fun to create something unique for each environment that we go to. So, yeah. Anyone else? Yes. I would say that you have to think, like, at the time, women were, like, more suppressed. So you had to think what it was like to be a woman at that time and want to have your voice heard and what it felt like to have no one paying attention to you. So you had to get in that mindset, that's what I would say. <laughs> Frustration, good motivating tool for Sophia Hayden of that time. Yeah, great question. Thank you. Anybody else Any, want to know anything? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right, here's Tommy. Cool. Just wanted to remind everybody that the, um, the performance is on Saturday uh, at 7.30 in the Dorothy Manker Theater in the Fine and Performing Arts Center. There are still tickets available. And if you happen to have um, any friends or people that you know who are dancers, who are at least intermediate to advanced dancers, we are offering a master class that one of Melissa's dancers is teaching for us at 10.30 on Saturday morning. Uh, and right now we still have some slots available. It's free. Um, I just need to know who's coming so that I can add them to the list. So if you happen to know any dancers who are at least at intermediate level, um, send them my way over at the FPAC. And their class is from 10.30 to 11.45 on Saturday morning. Um, so anybody have any more questions for either for Melissa or for Carrie or for me? Cool. Well, th thank you. I want to thank Troy for hosting us here today. Thanks. Um, and thank you all for coming and listening to the talk. And we hope to see you all on Saturday. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.